Hi, you're listening to the Behavior Change Marketing Bootcamp podcast. I'm your host, Ruth Dale. Today's episode title was really hard to choose because we are talking with Stephen and Adrian from Police Scotland, and they're sharing their expertise and genius behind the Don't Be That Guy sexual entitlement campaign. Now, this is an award-winning campaign. It recently won the Drum Award for Best Public Sector Campaign. But this campaign went viral. So the ultimate of the ultimate, the hero video is viewed around six, seven million times around the world. They had hundreds of thousands of views on the microsite. Just incredible. Actually, you don't want to hear from me. You would need to hear from them. Let's go. You're listening to the Behavior Change Marketing Bootcamp Podcast for people passionate about making a positive change. We believe understanding your audience is the key to maximum impact. And behavioral science takes this to a whole new level. Join your host, Ruth Dale, and expert guests to explore biases, beliefs, why we do what we do, and why we don't do what we said we would do. So for today's episode, we are delighted to welcome to the Bootcamp podcast, Adrian Searle and Stephen Carroll. Adrian and Stephen are the geniuses behind the Don't Be That Guy campaign. This campaign has taken the internet by storm and the marketing world by storm, and it applies behavioral insights as well as using some amazing marketing tactics to really get the message across. So we couldn't be more excited than to welcome them into the podcast to share a little bit about how they did it, some tips and tricks, and just basically to share their genius with the rest of us. So I will hand over to you both now to say your hellos. Hello, Adrian. Hello, everybody. I'm Adrian Searle, and I'm the Communications Strategy Manager in the Corporate Communications team at Police Scotland. My background is a mix of client-side and agency-side marketing, 30 years. Worked in consultancy, worked in arts marketing, worked in retail marketing, and the ran an agency for 16 years in a publishing company for eight years, and then just by accident, find myself in policing, which from day one, I absolutely loved. Oh my gosh, that's an amazing background and experience you've brought there, Adrian. And Stephen, hello. Hi, Ruth. My name is Stephen Carroll, and I'm a communications officer in the projects and delivery team in the corporate communications department at Police Scotland. And I suppose kind of like Adrian, my background is, is quite mixed as well. I started off in radio before moving into more kind of social media focused roles in the public and third sector and uh, now obviously in the, the kind of like the full mix of communications at Police Scotland. And like Adrian, it's um, you know it's a fascinating organization to work in. There's lots of really interesting and sometimes challenging um, projects to work on and it's uh, never never dull. Yeah, no, thank you, Stephen. And looking at your campaigns, you do have hard challenges. You tackle some of society's biggest problems. And you do so with amazing impact. So let's dive straight in. We had a little chat before we came in and Adrian's going to share some information about the insight for us. And then Stephen's going to share some secrets. So just to keep listening, everyone, because Stephen will share some, well, some, actually, I'm I'm not going to say anything, Stephen, I'm going to wait. But Stephen has some brilliant tactics to share. So Adrian, please, could you share a little bit from a behavioral insights perspective? How did it happen? How did it come about? Sure. Okay. Well, the first thing to say is I can go on about this forever. So just cut me off when I've I've (laughs) spoken for long enough. The second thing to say is that the the context of this is that the the end result 
was that they are kind of campaign film, which is just one part of the the overall campaign, um, was viewed, we believe, based on evidence, probably between six and seven million times worldwide. The microsite that we created as the, the main call to action had uh, probably well in excess of 160,000 page views wow. you know, and, and in the region of 70,000, 80,000 unique users. So that's I think that's useful for people to know the scale of the reaction. Now, that isn't all down to us. That's about delivering the right message at the right time. And the you know, it's probably the most successful policing campaign there's ever been. Certainly the most successful campaign that I've wor- ever worked on. But that you know, wasn't stuff that we were necessarily controlling. That was about us doing the right job, following the right processes, getting the right the message absolutely honed to perfection. And then it happened to land at the right time, you know, when people were ready and, and listening. So it's been a journey really over four years. I've I've worked at Police Scotland just over four years. And the very first thing that I did when I joined was work on a, a rape campaign in terms of obviously trying to challenge particularly young men aged between 18 and 35. That's when the risk factors of serious sexual violence are at their highest. And it's young men that are committing sexual violence. So the established kind of received wisdom around sexual violence was that it's a, it, it was a problem about young men not understanding consent. Okay. And really, I would say, would say worldwide, uh, it, you know, particularly in the English speaking world, that the vast majority of communication around rape prevention was focused on trying to educate men about consent. Now, in my, ultimately, the starting point for me was that that didn't square with my own experience. So in the back of my head, as a, you know, as somebody who, I'm 53 now, but, you know, been through several stages of, 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 of life and that didn't square. So the, I think the first factor was my own instinct to say, I don't think this is quite right. Secondly, we spoke to people who work in this area day in and day out, Rape Crisis Scotland, and our contact there, Brenna Jesse, one of the first things she said to me was, Adrian, it's all about male sexual entitlement. You need to look at that part of it. So we went off for all of our big public campaigns. We have the luxury of two full-time strategy and insight leads who will go and research a problem. They'll go and read the academic literature, they'll you know, read stuff from popular culture. They're looking for evidence, they're looking for empirical evidence and also kind of you know, quant and qual in order to build as, as accurate a picture as possible of what the problem is. Effectively, we're challenging the request that comes from our colleagues in operational policing who say we want to do a campaign on rape and try and reduce sexual harm. And we go away and say, right, okay, is there a problem? Yes, there is. Um, what's the scale of the problem? This is what it is. And what are the causes? What do we believe are the causes? Now, over the course of those four years, I think we, we honed our understanding of what the problem was more and more and more. And they, we got to a point where we found evidence that rather than it being about consent, it was really about male sexual entitlement. That was the main driver for sexual violence that You've got a spectrum. Imagine a imagine a, a, a you know a long line, and at one end there's you know, and these are these are made up figures. But at one end there's say ten fifteen percent of men who will never be a sexual threat to women ever, and then at the other end you've got ten or fifteen percent who 
potentially always will be a sexual threat to women, you know, due to all sorts of reasons. We were looking to try and influence through communications the 70 to 80% in the middle who want to do the right thing and don't, they don't wake up in the morning and look in the mirror and think, you know, I, I'm a sexual predator. I'm going to go out and harass women. But something goes wrong. Something goes wrong. They they want to do the right thing, but something goes wrong. And we identified that the thing that goes wrong is that men, men like Stephen and me, and you know uh, your your brothers and your your fathers and your sons are growing up in a culture that basically treats women really badly. And there's a whole load of societal behaviours that are are accepted that women know are completely objectionable. And the, yeah. at the heart of that, the agency that we were working with uh, put it in a really, really brilliant, super succinct way. Male sexual entitlement is basically assuming a right to a woman's attention or a woman's body without consent. So consent still plays a part, but fundamentally, it's that assumption. And that's why men want to do the right thing, but sometimes don't. Because there's a whole set of assumptions that comes from how women are portrayed in the media, how they're portrayed in books, how you portrayed in our peer groups, how we talk about women, all of these things. These things are reinforced day in, day out. It's in the air that we breathe. And they, that influences the way men treat women yeah. and the assumptions that they make. So Adrian, how did you feel though? That, I mean, I completely agree. And I think, like you say, it was the right time. This conversation is really out there. Now people are sort of stepping up against societal norms. But as it comes a marketing team, and you know this, what, how did you feel? Like, oh my gosh, this is huge. How do we begin to challenge society norms? It was certainly a daunting task. But I think that combination of, on the one hand, coming out and really coming out with a completely different narrative to the existing narrative that was focused around consent, we knew that there would be a lot of pushback from men. I think the the other thing to say is there's lots of people who have been working in this area for a number of years. There's a guy called Jackson Katz who who leads uh, a movement called the Bystander Intervention Movement in in America, and it comes out of male violence, you know, general male violence, particularly male man on man violence, but you know, is equally applicable to sexual violence. There's a guy in Scotland who is very much one of the leading voices in the UK called Graham Golden, who's an ex police officer from Glasgow who equally is, has been talking about this stuff for, for quite a long time. So I think the, for us, the daunting nature of it was we were really the first institution in the UK to be putting our money on this particular number on the roulette wheel. But it was what the insight was telling us. And it was very clear. The evidence was really clear. There's some brilliant research that looked at lots and lots of different, uh, like 3,000 different academic papers on the causes of rape and sexual violence. And they narrowed it down to about 300 kind of really, really robust and, and properly conducted pieces of peer-reviewed academic research. And that showed that by far, you know, not the only factors, but by far the, the most consistent factors were things related to what they call gender inequitable attitudes of which sexual entitlement is a, a really, really big part. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I think the, the the big challenge for us was taking that idea and taking that strategy or t- turning that insight into a strategy that yeah. you know, was deliverable and achievable and had smart objectives and then 
taking that strategy and turning it into a powerful creative that was going to work. And that wasn't easy. And it required a lot of hard work and a lot of your determination, working very much in partnership with a lot of different people, lots of people providing your really, really important contributions. But at the same time, having that helicopter view of all the different moving parts of the campaign. I think the one of the kind of analogies that I use is that campaigns are like an iceberg, you know, very straightforward, very simple visual visual image and visual metaphor that's used a lot. But I think the advertising for me, it's very, very hard to get advertising that both grabs attention and persuades. Um, I think most advertising and the paid for, the P of peso in terms of paid, earned, shared and owned the paid for is about mostly about getting attention. The persuasion that you need to undertake in order to achieve behavior change comes in the secondary content. So the principal part of our strategy was the proposition was basically sexual violence begins long before you think it does. And, yeah. and men have a men have a key role in ending sexual violence by first of all reflecting on their own behavior and then yeah. separately influencing their friends and their peer groups to you know, hold them to a higher standard of behavior. The nuances of that were that um, we knew that the Twitterati would push back, the men's rights movement guys would push back and say, listen, not all men commit sexual violence. So you know, it's not relevant to me. I'm not going to go out and commit sexual violence. And our answer to that was absolutely, that's totally true. However, if you are talking disrespectfully about women and you're behaving in a disrespectful way towards women and your behavior is reinforcing that inequality that exists within our society, then you are potentially not only contributing to women feeling unsafe, but you're also potentially giving permission to some of your peers who might go on and commit sexual violence. So it's about the individual responsibility. You can't not do anything you have to be on one side or the other. First of all, you look at your own behavior and decide if you, you know, and, and we're all products of a patriarchal system. We've all been subjected to the same forces that make us think that masculinity is one thing and, you know, that, that we should treat women in a certain way. And I've done things, you know, in, in, in my past that, or, you know, I've said things and, and you know, behaved in, in ways that, that I, I bitterly regret. I think criminal, but the you know, ways that I'm, I'm ashamed of. It's about drawing that line and saying, right, from now on, and now I understand I'm not going to behave that way. And I'm going to look out for my mates and, and make sure that they don't get themselves into trouble by crossing those lines. So our job was really to take that, turn it into a campaign where we had a piece of advertising that grabbed people's attention and, and established what the problem was. And then we directed them to a microsite that really gave them a lot more information about what they can do personally. Yeah. And I have to say the content in the microsite is incredible, as well as the advert itself is so hard hitting as a mother of two sons and a teenage son. It's brilliant because, you know, you could share it with a teenager and start conversations. You wouldn't really know how to start. But then I thought the microsite was so non, it wasn't like the police talking at people. It was very much about let's all talk together. So very accessible and not condemning any behavior. There was no right or wrong, no polarizing, just really equipping people as to where do you want to stand? Let's help you stand. Let's help you make your choice. So congratulations on the content, the tone of the content. I thought that's really hard. And 
Would you say it's fair, Adrian, to say that the strength of the insight and the strength of the evidence really did help keep the purpose? Just thinking about the value, having that insight, it's like the backbone, because it can get so busy and messages get diluted, don't they? Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it fulfills a number of functions, having the insight and the strategy. The first thing is keeping on course in terms of your, with your messaging. So for example, the, the, the agency that we worked with are brilliant and they've done other award-winning work for us in the past and they're really smart and they totally get it. But at the same time, they're an agency. They're not living, eating, sleeping, breathing. You know, the, our world one minute they're working on whiskey and the next minute they're working on, you know, a housing association. And so we're only yeah. paying for a certain amount of their time. So they came up, you know, initially they came up with, with a number of territories as they termed it, effectively potential creative routes. We then narrowed it down. They were keen on one and I was like, no, this is the one, this is the one. And that wasn't just my own personal instinct. That was about going back to the strategy, going back to the insight and saying, this is what we need to do. I think the a really critical part of that is the, is the the mnemonics com B and East in terms yeah. of capability, opportunity, motivation, and then separately you know easy, accessible, social, and timely. That these are the things that you really have to work really hard with with your agency or with whoever's producing your creative to understand the motivations and the drivers of your audience, and then try and tap into those in a positive way or sometimes a negative way, you know, depending on what you're trying to achieve. And again, that's where your insight and your strategy are really important. The other separate thing is, is that your decision makers in terms of the people that you are working for, and there's always somebody above you, there's always somebody above you. Oh, yes. And who's ultimately, you, you're going you're gonna to have to seek their approval. The whole point of having a written insight, a written strategy is that that is objective and you point to that so that it doesn't become a yes. subjective conversation of, well, I like this. Well, no, I like this. It's yeah. about going back to the strategy constantly and saying, this is what we've said in the strategy. We've all agreed this, signed this off. This is why we're doing, well, this is why we've made the choice mm -hmm. that we've made. Sometimes you have to concede on something. Sometimes you don't. But yeah. in the script, the first draft of the script, the proposition was missed out. So oh, it's wow. brilliant. It's really, really, really good. But it didn't say anything at the end. It was very atmospheric. Okay. They, yeah. We didn't, we didn't tie the bow on top of the on top of the gift. Oh, um, okay. And that's where people like myself and Stephen, you know, in terms of you know, people who will be listening to this podcast, the, the professional communicator's job is to keep the discipline, keep the methodology and, and make sure that you are saying the things that you need to say. And sometimes the agency doesn't like it. Sometimes you have to insist. Um, <laughs> you know, to tie that bow. Far, you do. It's far, far more important to say what you're wanting to say than say something that's memorable, but isn't what you want to say. Yeah. And that's always the tension with creative. Oh, brilliant. So Adrian, thank you. I think that's a perfect moment to hear from you, Stephen, because of course, yeah, often we were talking about it earlier, often you can have the best insight but actually executing it and implementing it is a whole nother ball game, isn't it? And Stephen, you've just done it amazingly. So please, can you share some of your tactics and share what worked for you in this campaign? Yeah, I suppose the first thing I would say is, I guess in a lot of ways, this, this was a, a bit of a new approach for, for Police Scotland. And we wanted to really think differently because 
we felt there was a real opportunity and, and going back to what Adrian said about the, the strategy and the insight and also perhaps a little bit of that of kind of instinct about where the, the direction of travel should be. And I think for me as well, uh, there's a bit of a movement generally towards a more kind of activism in communications, you know, these days, which is quite appropriate because if, if you are an organisation that has values, then you should be standing by yeah, your values yeah. and really promoting those in different ways. So, I mean, fortunately, uh, there was a fantastic job in terms of the strategy and insight, which was, you know, extremely easy to work with and then move forward and, and develop our plans in terms of our communications plan and our, our content and our objectives. And one of the, the kind of key things that we wanted to include as part of the campaign was male voices. Uh, the, the peer-to-peer communication was something that we believed was going to be absolutely crucial. Because who, who do young guys listen to, really? Are they going to listen to police officers? Um, <laughs> are they going to They're listen to... <laughs> <laughs> Not me. They're going to listen to their pals. They're going to... <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're going to listen to people they know, people that they have relationship with, whether that's in person or whether that's a, a social relationship. So the peer-to-peer communication aspect of it, we believe, is absolutely crucial. Hence the reason that for the first time, we recruited some influencers and some kind of well-known oh, wow. Scottish male faces. So a, a bit of a departure from a, a typical campaign, but again, something we felt was, was very crucial. And you, Ruth, you mentioned the content that features yeah. in the microsite and uh, as well as having people who could share messages and kind of amplify messages, we thought it was really important that young men spoke directly to their peers and other young men in the form of content creation and we were fortunate in that I think we had a couple of you know really talented young men who could could perfectly communicate self-reflection and you know the key messages of the campaign I would point to one in particular young guy called Alistair Heather who produced the videos and was part of the campaign where he was actually speaking directly to one of our officers at detective inspector who's very well versed in, in this area and areas of sexual crime. And one of the best pieces of content that uh, Alistair produced was essentially admitting that he himself has not, you know, been so great in the past when he's with his attitudes to women. And I think that vulnerability and that honesty was was extremely important and a really kind of significant part of the content creation. And and that was something that has really kind of developed in different ways and uh, to the point where Alistair featured in a BBC Radio 4 documentary off the back of his contribution and further examined wow. his attitudes and uh, other young men's attitudes, so, which is influence that we, we would never have, I think, guessed would have happened in the first instance. But one of the things we're also really aware of is 18 to 35, which was the age range we were looking at and targeting. An 18-year-old is very different to a 35-year-old in in that spectrum. There's going to be a lot of different interests and a lot of different attitudes. So it was really a case of, again, looking at the strategy and insight, thinking about the the methods that we wanted to communicate to men through, which is essentially digital and online and, and social media, and having a good understanding of what that landscape looks like. So I suppose quite generally that these days there are a lot of extremely kind of niche areas when it comes to people's interests. Yeah. And, yeah. and we wanted to try and be as, as as broad as possible in terms of 
um, recruiting people that could you know communicate through their own interests and I think that was one thing again going back to the content of our, our microsite that was part of the the, pr- the the secondary content success of the campaign and that we've got writers who have contributions that cover gaming and music and football yeah the sport. gaming one yeah that was so interesting I think that's why you're saying because it, it's actually come from men so it's not you know, it's not middle-aged mum sitting down writing the content plan. It's the voice of men. You've captured the voice of the audience brilliantly. Yeah, and I think that was that that authenticity was really important as well. You know, that I think that gives you a, a credibility amongst the audience. And again, that's going to be a, a range of audiences within that um, age range because of just the nature of uh, society and digital and online life these days. So, uh, content, secondary content, as well as having the, the hero video, which was you know a shared phenomenally and a, a, a real success, and something that we're extremely happy with in terms of the key messages that were delivered through that and the response. We didn't just want to have that as a sole feature of a campaign, and we're very aware that this could be a, the start of a conversation. A yeah. conversation that, that that might progress over a number of years, so there are lots of avenues we had to consider in in terms of that conversation and reaching the audience. And again, going back to the strategy and insight side of things, always going back to that and always making sure that we embedded those key messages that that came through, especially the male sexual entitlement and self reflection. Always going back to those. Yeah, elements and, and making sure they were in, embedded with the influencers and their content. And part of that inv- involved having a conversation directly with some of the, the people we recruited and helping them to better understand our rationale and what we were hoping to achieve. So good briefing with them, you know, bringing them on the team, as it were, getting them behind the goal. So it's a shared goal. Would you, would you, did you do it yourself, Stephen? Or did you have a team to do it or an agency? How do you actually go about recruiting influencers? So in terms of our approach, we did use an agency for the first time in terms uh, for recruiting influencers. And again, you mentioned briefing, Ruth, and as Adrian has commented on before, the conversations at the start of that process are, are really crucial so that everyone has a clear expectations and, and a real understanding of your objectives and what you're really hoping to achieve and, and how you want to achieve them. And we were fortunate again and that we had a fantastic agency who really understood what we were aiming to do and they were extremely helpful and had a really good understanding of the, the landscape um, when it came to influencers and social media in Scotland. Um, yeah. which was obviously the kind of main area that we were, were targeted, even though there's been an international factor um, in terms of the success of the, the campaign. But the agency, again, it going back to what Adrian, Adrian said, it was very important that they had a really clear understanding of everything that we were focused on. And there were those initial conversations just to bottom out all, all of the expectations and objectives. And that worked really well and it was um, I think a big part of the the success of the campaign. Yeah so just a little bit for anyone listening so the power is really in the proposition getting the proposition right and it will serve you so many times throughout the whole strategy development stakeholder management commissioning agencies so everyone is on the same page at all times everyone's got that one north star they're working towards so tell me what's next for this campaign. Don't be that guy. What 
it can't just be a, a part one. Have we got a Star Wars trilogy or a Harry Potter series in here? <laughs> yes, we do. So it's early days, but we are very much looking to take the next step with the campaign. The I think uh, Don't Be That Guy will become Be This Guy. Lovely. The, I would say that the first campaign was was really trying to get men to understand what the problem was and accept that there's a problem and encourage them to go and look for answers to that problem. I think the, the, the second phase of the campaign, which is really, really early, you know, kind of development stage, is going to be looking at much more kind of practical advice for young men in terms of how to have those conversations. So taking it really beyond beyond the self-reflection and, and kind of talking to the men who, who have seen the campaign already and kind of taken on board those messages about looking in the mirror you know, and, yeah. and thinking about your own behavior and then starting them to think about how they can influence their peer group positively and how to have those difficult conversations. If you're you know, out in the pub you know, and one of your mates is being leery or you're know, out in the street and they're catcalling or you know, they're just generally hassling or they're staring at women on public transport or you know, those kind of things, how to negotiate the social minefield that yes. is, is raising that. And there's so many barriers to us do, doing that. You know, men are very, very hierarchical, very, very focused on, on social standing and social status. And we don't want to lose face in the group. It's hard so to stand up to the, a group. Absolutely, absolutely. And the there's lots of very practical things that we can talk to people about in terms of how you go about doing that. Personally, from my point of view, is it's not about calling people out in front of the group. It's the exact opposite of that. It's, it's about thinking about how you would like to be treated and having that private conversation a couple of days later and saying, and, and doing it from a point of view of humility. So not not doing it in such a way that you are somehow making out that you're better than the other person, either you know, directly or inferred, you're not being angry, you know, but saying, listen, mate, I've, I've done things that I'm you know, uncomfortable with and I, I realize we're wrong. And that's why I'm, that's why I'm raising this. I think that was, you know, I think whatever happened, you know, that's, that was problematic and it's problematic for this reason. Can yeah. we have it, just have a quick chat about it? And it's not always going to go down well, you know, it's not always, but, you know, ultimately it's about looking after your mates so that they don't get themselves into trouble, being loyal to your mates um, yeah. in terms of recognizing that the analogy that somebody used today was, you know, on the football pitch, you know, sometimes people see red, you know, and the, the red mist comes down and, you know, they, they lose it and you can see that they're going to get sent off and the captain or one of the other players steps in comes between you know the two people that are fighting or they try to usher the person away it's the same compulsion it's looking after your mates and, and being loyal yeah. and, and oh, keeping them safe yeah oh adrian you're really good with the analogy thank you because actually when you said the football pitch um i spent many saturday mornings at the football pitch but there is that moment where a mate might just say enough you know and it just gives the moment to diffuse just a tiny seconds all that's needed to, you know, to at least move the situation positively onward. Oh gosh, so exciting time. So we are going to see a second part. Yeah, you heard it here first. Brilliant. Really excited to hear that. Thank you both so much for coming on. I'm feeling like we need to hear more from you. There's so much more we could learn. But I think there's loads, loads of penny drop moments in here. 
So anyone who's just starting out, do listen through and hear how um, I think the behavioral insights and the just the starting strength really just to held the campaign together and has really elevated it. And also you've just broken, you've broken in, I suppose from an East perspective, timeliness was perfect, wasn't it? With the, the change in societal norms that we're seeing. But also um, just from a marketing perspective, I completely know how hard it is to keep that proposition intact from beginning to end within complex systems and within such a difficult subject. So congratulations to you both. It's incredible what your team has done. And I think that's reflected in the amount of nominations for awards you've had. Could you just very quickly tell us where and who you are nominated for? Because it's outstanding. The first one is we were nominated in two categories in the Drum International Digital Marketing Awards, particularly in kind of public sector categories. And we won uh, one of those in terms of, I think, best public sector campaign. And we were up against some much, much bigger campaigns with you know huge budgets, seven-figure budgets, as opposed to our little five-figure budget. We're then separately in the Roses Creative Awards, which are the main, the main kind of Creative Awards in the UK now. Um, we're nominated in five categories for that. Amazing. Uh, very specifically for the film. In Scotland, we have the Marketing Society Scotland and they have an annual Star Awards and we're nominated in that. You can only enter one category, unfortunately, for that. We're nominated in the category that, that we entered. We're also, we entered the PR Week uh, Purpose Awards and we've got a nomination there. And then also the PRCS Awards, which is a, a Scottish-based PR society. And we're nominated in one category in that, but there's a, there's a separate category that's announced on the night. And uh, we've got our fingers crossed for, for that one as well. And we've entered in, oh. into a few other things as well. So oh. um, watch the space. That's amazing. I mean, congratulations on winning the Drum Awards, as, but just all these nominations. It's wonderful to see recognition of this approach and of the positive impact that you're having. And you literally are using marketing and comms to change lives. So thank you so much for coming on. I feel really honored that you're here. Could we please end with your recommendation for a book? We always ask this question at the end and just one book. Some people cheat and give more, but if you could limit yourself to just one book that you would recommend our listeners read. Sure. Stephen, you go first. Well, I suppose <laughs> this is something that I, I find quite useful <laughs> in personal and professional life, in my personal and professional life, and I would definitely recommend it to anyone. It's not necessarily marketing or communications focused, but I think it would help a lot of people. <laughs> and the book is called How to Stay Sane by <gasps> Philippa Perry, who uh, people might know from Grayson Perry's Art Club, and is the, the partner of Grayson Perry. But um, it's a really fantastic breakdown of how our brain works and our thinking and essentially how to stay sane. Oh, wow. Thank you, Stephen. I shall pop a link in the show notes to that one. My goodness. Yeah, definitely. Adrian, can you top that? Sure. Okay, right. I'm going to cheat. I'm going to give you a book and I'm going to give you an author. So the, the book <laughs> is, I'm not a big reader of management books. I'm not a big reader of business books. I think w- one of the most useful books that I've read to do with kind of the same subject that Stephen's talking about in terms of the, the psychology behind marketing is called Why We Buy by a guy called Paco Underhill. And mm. he, Paco Underhill is American. And this book came out probably 10, 15 years ago, and it was a Radio 4 book of the week. Totally compelling. And he was a a guy who was an academic sociologist who took his sociology 
kind of toolkit of observational techniques and took it into retail marketing. Uh, and it's a book that I read when I was in retail marketing. It's about the limitations of market research and how if you ask people direct questions, they will give you direct answers of what they think the answer is, yeah. but they won't always know what the answer is. And you have to observe behavior. And the things that he did was Macy's was one of his clients and he set up a whole load of cameras in Macy's, just observing the way people behave in a retail environment, just in the same way that you would do with bonobo, you know, apes or, or whatever. And it was really, really interesting and in that effectively in a lot of what we do and a lot of the things that we end up having to do marketing campaigns about, a lot of behavior is unconscious. And we, you know, I used to say in retail marketing, I was talking to regional managers, what do you think people are thinking about when they're, they're buying in, in our, in my case, retail photography? And uh, they were like, oh, you know, they'll be thinking about what, you know, how many exposures they want on their camera film or, you know, what kind of lens they want for the camera. It's like, no, they're not thinking about that. They're thinking about what's happening in EastEnders or what they're going to get for tea or, yeah, you know, the argument the that they have with their mother. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Car they're park. not. And, and, and yeah. you know, people are in that flow state. And in the same way, you know, whether it's in our world of, you know, crime or it's in retail or whatever, you have to recognize that people aren't conscious in a lot of their behavior and you, you're having to appeal to the unconscious. Um, so the second thing is, obviously, Stephen and I both work in the police. So I think it would be totally remiss not to give you a really good crime recommendation. Oh, um, yes, please. They, they, and I, since joining the Scotland four years ago, I've read nothing but crime literature. I was, wasn't a crime reader particularly prior to that, but I've, I've probably read 150 crime novels um, since joining Scotland. And by far the best writer, the one that I absolutely adore, is a guy called David Mark. His first novel. He's written, he's written about ten or thirteen, ten or fifteen books now. But his first crime novel, featuring a Scottish detective called Hector McAvoy, who's based in Humberside Police, and uh, he, he lives um, on the edge of Hull. The book's called Dark Winter, and uh, he is absolutely brilliant. He's superb. The quality of his writing is amazing. The quality of his characterization is utterly brilliant. The characters totally leap off the page. As you read more and more of them, they become like friends. You know, you know them so well. So uh, I would commend anybody who likes a good crime novel to to do the the David Mark Hector McAvoy series. Brilliant. Oh, thank you, Adrian. We will forgive you for sneaking that one in because that does sound <laughs> like fun. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you both so, so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your genius with us. Thank you, Ruth. Thank you. of wisdom there fantastic campaign groundbreaking changing the narrative really really focusing in on using insight and behavioral science to get started and then using it throughout the whole process because it's such a strong start and just to recap what i really heard was how they started off with the insight understanding the challenge even challenging back internally you know really going deep pulling in expertise from well, the experts and building good relationships and good partnerships to really take the work forward. Partnership really seemed to underpin a lot of the success. And also, once I've got the insight, focusing in then on turning that insight into a marketing strategy. One, where the beating heart was the proposition, really clear proposition. So once they had their really clear proposition that captured the shift in narrative, they then 
moved into creating some powerful, powerful hero pieces, applying the PESO model really expertly to drive people to a behavior change content-based microsite, which is really positive, really helpful. It's just brilliant. I'm so delighted there's going to be a follow-up campaign. So thank you to Police Scotland for leading the way. I'm delighted to have you on board. And as always, if anyone is interested in going deep in behavioural change marketing, we have our July dates coming up. So get in touch. We'd love to see you there. Take care. Thanks for listening. Did you enjoy this episode? If so, show us some love and leave a review on iTunes. We'll leave you with Ruth's favorite quote from Alice in Wonderland. I knew who I was this morning, but I've changed a few times since then. Got a favorite quote about the magic of change? Tell us over at the Behavior Change Marketing Bootcamp Group on LinkedIn. Join us for a Mad Hatter's Tea Party, virtually. 